What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the call series here on the Splitting Up Rights podcast. Before we meet our next interviewee, we're going to hear a little bit about Anchor.fm. The next interviewee is Solomon Wise. He's a linebacker now out of UTSA. He gives a great insight in having two older brothers who have been successful uh, in the NFL as well as their college days. We can't wait to, for y'all to listen to this episode. So, Sandy, hit the play button. Let's get this rolling. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about because, you know, we got to talk about the Warfel Award, which you're up for this year. But yeah. first of all, I got to say, how dare you? How dare you? Because I'm a place kicker and I'm going through your stats. I'm looking through, you know, how many how many sacks, tackles for losses. I see a block kick. Like, oh. how do, come on, man. Like, that's like. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was honestly, I can lie to you, that, that block kick was probably the best highlight, even though. You know, college has been up and down. That block kick for a touchdown I had was probably the best. It was so exciting. Hand was throbbing after, but so exciting. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, I see these dudes, like, on, uh, like if you're rushing the pass and you get a pass deflection. My, my head coach is a defensive lineman. We used to have a podcast. And I was like, dude, does that hurt? Does that hurt? He's like, no, nah, because you're in the you, – you got this adrenaline going on. It doesn't really hurt. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, come on. It's got to hurt. So when I see the dudes blocking kicks, I'm like, that's got to freaking hurt because I kick the ball. I know how hard it's coming right. off. Right. Yeah, how hard I kick it. Y'all kick it really hard. Right. So I'm glad you settled that. <laughs> but. No, but after I kicked it, like, after I, I blocked it, at first, because we did this so many times in practice, like, Solomon, you're the best guy for this job to go block the kick. I'm like, bet, all right, all right. So I'm thinking all week, I have one job on special teams that's blocked the kick on defense as a pass rush. That's all I am. But – I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I get there, just like I practice. In between the blockers, right on his foot. Boom. Makes me was in the air. I'm like, I did it. I did it. He catches it, runs. Next thing you know, my hands are throbbing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Boom, 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 boom. It's in my hand all day. But, yeah, that was awesome. I bet. So, uh I'm looking at all your achievements, you know, the reason why you were nominated for the Warfel Award, there are too many to, to name. I mean, all these, yeah. these different uh, things you're involved in. So can you, can you kind of just explain to us this, this drive for wanting to be involved in the community and, and what got you into this? Because, you know, lots of student athletes, you know, have interests and stuff, but I mean, you're just all over the place with these things, man. Like, yeah. So, yeah. No, you well, yeah, you know, I'll let you finish, I'll let you finish. No, I mean, it, it's just like, I guess maybe, where does that come from? I guess what? I, well, well, I grew up like that. It was just like, always get back to the community, not to be, you know, repetitive or sound like a, a sound radio, but, you know, always get back to the community, always do what's right, because at the end of the day, you're always like, I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't matter how bad people treat you, you always have to pull through for other people, you know what I mean? And it's just always been in my heart just to just give back because I always knew I grew up kind of blessed. I grew up just kind of like understanding different than a lot of other people. Like I see things differently. So it's like, let me just, let me just put a smile on your face. Let me just give you a different experience of life that will make you, ah, epiphany, the aha moment. You know what I mean? So I always try to give a lot of people an aha moment, even though it's small, like, you know, a kid sees somebody giving back, like, oh, I can give back. Or 
oh, that guy needs something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh he's actually homeless. I thought it was just, you know, like kids don't really un understand things like that. So, yeah, so I always wanted to be involved. It was just a good feeling, you know. Yeah, Can't no, I, I totally get it. I mean, I'm just – I'm reading down this list, and you're doing so many things as a student athlete. You know, I, I – Drew and I did it at a certain level. You're doing yeah. it at the Division One level. Time is – not even really, it's not even like a commodity. Like you, you don't have a lot of it. So yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see all these things that you're involved in. And it's not just one thing. It's not just one cause that it's limited to. I'm seeing multiple things, you know, involved with different churches, food drives, uh, pediatric cancer, the Rowdy Readers program, which I like. We do something like that. I love those elementary yeah. kids, man. They are so happy to see college football yeah. players and they think the world of you. And it's just. No, for real. That's what I'm saying because. I remember when I was that age, and I swear, like, and I think about it now, I can't even think of the guy's name. I don't even think of the guy's school that he went to, but it was just inspiring to see somebody that just like, oh, my God, he plays football. Oh, like, it doesn't matter if you went to – it doesn't matter what school you go to. You're always at a higher level than where they are, and they're always going to see something in you that they want to be. Just, oh, my God, they see the superhero. You know, like, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. And once I found that out, my freshman year in college, it was like, I found that out, but I already knew I wanted to get back. But I found out, like, it doesn't matter where I am. People see me as, like, just bigger and larger than life. Like, and that's always what people see you as, larger than life. You go to a, a middle school, elementary, and I met there the college of the city. You know what I mean? San Antonio College. Uh, not San Antonio College. That's, I, that's the name of college. But, you, you know, UTSA in San Antonio. Kids love that. Dads love that, you know, diehard fans that are in the city come to, you know, a guy came to my elementary school. Oh, that's, you know, that's big. Everybody's looking at me like I'm just Michael Jordan. And I love it. And I don't let it get to my head, but I know what I can do with that. You know, I know that kids' ears are all open. It's like a dry sponge, you know. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, 100%, you know, as – as football players, you know, they always tell you your responsibilities on the field, but as you get older, you learn that there's so much more that comes with it yeah, off really. the field. Really. Um, being, being a leader in the community, you know, me personally growing up in Coppell, uh, looking up to those, those athletes that are right. above you, just like you were saying, um, is one of the reasons why, you know, kids play football is the reason why kids get into these things and to hear yeah. those things, knowing you personally, playing with you for two years and seeing you doing those things and being up for a award like that, you know, it's great to be up for, you know, the best defensive end, the best linebacker award, yeah. but it's a whole different yeah. thing to be up for an award. That's... <laughs> exactly. He, he, he's, he can do it on and off the field. And, uh, but there's not many athletes, you know, that are so well at doing it off the field as yourself. Um, again, as seeing these, these, these things you're listed in. Uh, and so it's just, it, it's a, it's a testament to the person you are as yeah. well as, uh, what you've become through the years, because don't get me wrong, when we when you were in Capelli, man, you were a knucklehead for sure. <laughs> I was a knuckle. I was always a knucklehead, but I always saw it because, like, I haven't. I've had this talk with like my dad, my best friends, with Obi Obialo. He needs to be on the show too. Um, and I always told myself like, you are who people say you are, and I didn't like what who people you know, said I was a knucklehead and all this because I knew I was a good person was like, they didn't see how it was outside of school. You know what I mean? They, like a lot of kids didn't like have that one-on-one -on -one time with me like Obi did and Luke McBride, you know, and how, you know, they just knew who I was cause they kind of like, oh yeah, he's almost knucklehead, but like, 
you really won't see him doing things a lot of other kids will do, like staying up five o'clock in the morning as a 10th grader in high school, doing things that we shouldn't be doing, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. I wasn't a part of those crowds. So I was okay with being labeled the silly kid while a bunch of kids were druggies and, you know, like really throwing away their lives. I'll take that stigma because I know a lot of, a lot of guys now look up to me and follow me and swipe up and always interested in what I'm doing, but didn't want to ever make fun of me, talking about me. So I just always keep a level head and I'll take that. I'll accept that because a lot of people didn't know me. So it's, it's whatever. So, you know, what comes, what, what's in the dark will always come to light. So shows that I actually do stuff. So, you know. So, Solomon, we were talking before the show a little bit and Drew gave uh, me a little bit of your background. Okay. And so I know you played at Capel for two years, but I know you played at Hebron before that. Yeah. Yes. So, we were just talking with Jonathan, one of uh, one of y'all's old teammates. Yes, McGill, right? Yeah. That's right, Jonathan McGill. And he talked about Hebron at one point where Jamal Adams is. Now, I got to ask you, when we were talking about high school before the show started with you, you, mm -hmm. you were talking about, you know, Jamal Adams on the street, Hebron, this and that. You said he right. was for Capel. So, I know you went to Capel for two years, but do you still have some allegiance to, to Hebron? I'm really a Hebron guy, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm actually a Hebron kid because I went to elementary up there when I moved you know, to Texas. I moved right to that area. So I grew with everybody. Yes, I grew with Jamal Adams and whatnot. You know, I've known him since before he was what he is now. You know, my brother, he was really best friends with Jamal. My other brother that played for the Cowboys, went to Kansas, Daniel Wise. He was best friends with Jamal. It was him, David, and all that, a bunch of other guys. And, just hang around that, hang around a mindset. So that's kind of stay around those guys. I love them. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I know Hebron, like you said, I, I grew up right down the street from there. But you say you, you, know, moved, you moved from you moved from somewhere. Where where exactly was that? Where what, what? Uh, I'm, I'm originally from, like, uh, the Virginia area. Yeah, so um, North Virginia. I'm, I'm a military okay. brat. One thing a lot of people don't know about me. I grew up in the military, like, damn near household with a head coach. So, mm -hmm. you know, I always grew up strict. I guess that's why I like to have fun because any chance I like to get just to really just let loose because I couldn't at home a lot. Just, hey. So, but, yeah, I'm Virginia. Yeah. So when you played against Hebron in your later years at Capel, did you know – you knew a lot of those guys, right? You pretty much knew all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the best feeling. Best feeling in the world to just go back and whoop their ass. <laughs> just go back and just whoop their ass because, like, they were talking a lot, a lot of crap. So when I first moved to Capel, paperwork didn't sign over. So I was, like, on JV in the 11th grade, that first game versus Hebron. And first play off the bat, I get a TFL fumble. I remember that. And it was like, I was like, Oh, okay. That's it. You got to hit the guy. Like, all right. Like, y'all are on JV talking all that crap, but you can't even do nothing. Anyway, let me just go ahead and whoop, whoop your last the whole game. End up having, a, I, I end up having a really good game that game. But long story short, they just, as soon as I moved, you know, it was always you know, when I got on varsity, I couldn't wait to do all that. So, it's terrible part. Yeah, no, I, I remember, you know, like you said, you, you didn't start off on varsity and then you were shortly moved up after everything went through. Yeah. Um, you know, grow, the, growing up in Coppell, 
you only see kind of one way. I, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, what, what's the, I guess, what's the stigma of Coppell? Like, what did you think coming in? And then what did, what kind of was your results of like that whole side? Because like I said, I, I've being out of Coppell from now, like I definitely see it in a different light. Right. Um, I also went to school there and so I was all about it, I guess. Um, but what yeah. was it kind of for you? Cause I know it's a completely different image moving into a city that's kind of close knit like it is. Well, off bat, my mindset of Capel, like I say, I'm a Hebrew kid right now. Capel, stuck up. So pretty much y'all are South Lake kids. The same way we see South Lake kids is the same way everybody else sees Capel. So how South Lake, oh, what are, what's in the water over there? Oh, what's in the water at South Lake? Like, why are their middle, their middle school team always getting a state, even though they're not even up for state? Like, and stuff like that. Winning district all the time, just and track, football, tennis, soccer, doesn't matter what it was, like South Lake was good. And that's how other schools saw Capel. Kids always going big D1 out of Capel. Capel's a football powerhouse. Even though we don't go to state and win state like that, we were just dominant in the force of high school football. You know, always just, even when I was there, coach will always mention our rankings, and I'll be like, okay. You know, okay, like, I'd be like, I really didn't know. Like, we're the number one defense in the city or number one defense in the state, number two defense in this. And it really didn't dawn on me that, like, we were competing against a lot of schools in America, a lot of schools in Texas. And a lot of schools didn't do that. See, Capel introduced that organized professional football lifestyle to me. And just at Hebron, it was just, like, normal on-the-field weight room, sit down, get yelled at by coach, feel bad and go back outside and try to do better, you know? And I went to Capel. I'm thinking football, football, football. I moved there for football. Uh, sue me now. But I moved there for football, and I was thinking, like, okay, let's see what the school's about. I know it's a fun school. I know the kids are really, like, football-oriented around here. So that's, you know, my mindset. And then when I got here to Capel, I was like, okay, I wasn't really, like, brought in like that. I was with Chris Biggers for a while. You know, he was cool people. And I was with Scott Huntsman, you know, cool guy as well. And then I started hanging out with, like, uh, what's his name? Um, forgot his name. And then I found Obi. You know, Obi was my – that was, like, my brother. That was a guy that I could just talk to because, you know, it wasn't a lot of guys like me at Capel I could relate to. And Obi just, you know, took me in and we started talking and, I just kind of felt comfortable with everybody else. I'm like, okay, these are like just a Hebrew kids and, you know, regular little you know, kids, you know. And now I became that Capel kid. So I was like, oh, gosh. So, yeah, I love Yeah, it. no, I mean, it, like, it, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, I've had multiple guys playing basketball and football that transferred in like yourself. Right. Um, and it, it definitely takes a second to get used to because you're so used to growing up. Like, I grew up with guys like I, – I grew up with Obi. You know, he lived right. in Coppell, and I played against him for most of my life, played with him for most of my life. So I knew Obi going into those final two years on varsity. You know, getting to know guys like yourself as well as younger and even older guys um, mm -hmm. is something that I always enjoyed because um, it's just – they see – people see, you know, life differently. And, you know, right. and to get a new viewpoint in from, from someone from a different city, you know, even though it was, it was close, it's still, it was still really refreshing. But I always tell right. people – that, that senior year and junior year, we had, like, the toughest schedule in the entire city of Dallas. I mean, we, we really did. We went against Cedar Hill. 
We then went against Trinity and Southlake, both in our district. We lost yep. to McKinney Boyd junior year, but we should have won that game. We should have. Yeah, and then, and then we beat um, some Maryland school, like beat the crap out of them. We beat the hell out of them. They was like Texas football. What? <laughs> yeah, they they came and played like three Texas schools. They played Desoto, Trinity, then us. And each time they lost by like double. They lost by ten to Desoto. They lost by twenty to Trinity and lost by forty to us. Forty um, to us. So, yeah. So they yeah. they were ready to leave when, when they played us, and then. <laughs> And then we, so then we played Trinity, Trinity and uh, Southlake in our district, and then go right. on in our by district in the first round and Cowboy Stadium our junior year to, to lose to DeSoto. Pretty, it was a pretty close game, but um, still, still got our butt beat. Um, Wait, and then we, we played DeSoto in the Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, yeah. On a, on a Thursday night, uh, it was our junior year. Yep, <laughs> Cowboy Stadium at like 9 p.m. at night on Thursday night because we wanted to play in Cowboy Stadium. And so we had to pick like the super late game. I, I promise you, I got pictures from it and everything, man. I, I will never I played forget that, that game. game. I, yeah, you were there. I don't know if you you played. I don't. I don't remember the defensive side, but you were definitely there. Oh my god, why don't I remember this? Hey, I'll I'll send you pictures, man. I, I, of at least me. We were wearing. We had red. We had black helmets, a red top, and uh, uh, black bottoms. Yeah. And we, we were Cowboys, I promise you, man, I would never forget that. But then we go on the next year to play Broken Arrow, the best team out of – one of the better teams out of Oklahoma. You know what? You know what? That was, that was y'all's sophomore year. No, no, no. I promise. I promise. Because my junior year, that was the uh, – that's when we get – that's when we went to the third round. No, second round. That's when we beat Colleyville. Is it? No. I'm tri- that you're 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 tripping, you're thinking about a different school, my guy. <laughs> we went six and five my two years on varsity year two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, same. We did. And we, we lost to DeSoto both in the first round. I I promise you, man. Hey. I remember this, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. I remember I got hurt. And I was in the stands. We played DeSoto. I remember this. I do. Okay. Okay, but I got you. Hey, yeah. yeah. So like I said, and then we go on to play Broken Arrow in Oklahoma, one of the top teams. Yeah. Lose to them on homecoming because all of our home games were against Cedar Hill. Uh, or no, it wasn't against Cedar Hill. We played them away. But then we had to play Trinity at home, Southlake at home. Yep, yep. And then we had to play DeSoto again. I mean, it was just two, t- two tough years. Uh, we played really close every time. So man. I can – I had – one of the – it was one of the most fun years for me, man. I, I enjoyed it. It was. All, you know, even though the wins weren't there, the team chemistry, the guys that it were was. there, it was a fun team, man. And um, there's a story – Okay. That I have about high school. This is the story I was telling you about. Um, pre-game, or not pre-game. This is this is still in fall camp, actually. Okay. We're in the locker room. We're, we're allowed to have music, and I believe uh, you. I believe you put on a song um, by Future. It's called Stick Talk. Yes. <laughs> um, Coach Dewitt comes into the locker room. Not actually in, but when like we have a little section outside of our doors. He shazams the song yes. to it. Finds the lyrics pulls us into the meeting room before practice and is reading the lyrics reading word for lyrics. word. Oh. And um, I believe his name is Isaac Coulter. Because uh, ah. Coach DeWitt's like, what does this mean? He's saying something, you know, that's that's rapper lingo to where, right. you know, right. the, he doesn't listen to rap. You know, he doesn't yeah. know what that means. Isaac Coulter's, that means weed. That means drugs. That means right. – <laughs> He's just, he just di- dissecting everything down. <laughs> and, we're, and everyone's sitting there, like, uncomfortable, like, trying not to laugh. <laughs> As well, right. and it's just, and I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were the one that actually played that song um, that day in the locker room. I don't know if it's true or not. I, I thought it was you, but there, I mean, there's a lot of guys in the locker room. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I remember it was Solomon Wise playing that song. Well, 
I did not play the song. Okay. It was my phone. I was I was playing um, World's Greatest by R. Kelly. I remember this like it was yesterday, actually. Okay. Do you, you remember that? Yes, but yes, we were I playing remember. World's Greatest, and I was sitting there because, you know, I listen to inspirational music plus rap, mm-hmm. but I listen to a lot of, like, inspirational music when I'm, like, before I do something just to, like, get me in that, like, I'm that guy vibe, like, I could be this guy they're talking about, you know. But, and then, Josh, what's his name? Ibumba, what is what's his uh, name? Malumba, Josh Malumba. Yeah, Josh Malumba. He, uh, hey, let me play song, let me play song. I said, sure, but after this song, this is my song. And then I played Post Malone after. It was, uh, uh, it was the uh, Tears of Money. I got my tears with the money, yeah. That's when he was in his prom. And, and he was like, oh, they play a song. I was like, all right, bet. Make sure it's clean because Coach DeWitt, yada, yada. He plays Stick Talk. Everybody just forgets about it. My phone's up there. But I was like, and next thing you know, Coach DeWitt's outside, she's jamming a song. I'm like, why would he do that? That's weird. Coach the whip straddles in. Yes. Come here, Shotwin. Come here. I'm like, oh my gosh. It wasn't me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not my like, it's my it's your phone. Yes. I didn't play it. Yeah, okay, yeah. You didn't believe anything I said. Anything I said. I feel like that's why a lot of people saw me one way. Because people just, like, they just had a stigma of me. Then I didn't believe anything I said. I'm like, all right, fuck it. Fuck all y'all. But, yeah, so he sits us down, sits me in the front, sits everybody else, playing a song in the locker room. He thought that because we played that song, we, we would become the most peers of demons on this universe. I understand I'm a man of God, but there's overkill to everything. You know what I mean? That's why you call certain religious people extremists. I'm not calling the coach Mike DeWitt an extremist. I'm just saying, like, you have to understand, like, I understand that song wasn't good, but he thought it was all about fornication, you know, taking over women like this. Like, the lick, lick means, like, you know, taking something, like, oh, that's a lick, let's take the lick. Stick talk was, like, the extension to a gun, like a stick. You know what I mean? Like, the extendo. He's over here saying, stick talk, stick. Talk, stick talk, lick talk. That is the devil. That is the pure devil. I'll read this to you. Took a shot of Henny. Oh, you shouldn't be drinking anyway. I've been going brazy, brazy. Whatever that means. He was reading, I forgot that. It was like, and then it was like, uh, get a little cheaper. I get the bins, hit it a little harder, get the win. What are we hitting? Women, we are not, we're, we're, not, we're not womanizers. We got to respect women. Coach, hit a lick, like, hit it a little harder. He's like, go at it, whatever, a little harder, and get the win. Like, do whatever, a little harder, and get the call we want. All right, yeah, okay. Like the Taliban, he was reading more off, got, got guns like the Taliban. Race of slurs. I haven't had it with this song. He put the song in the pocket, and it was one part. Remember the part with the thumb? It was yeah. like, and <laughs> we were, uh, what? <laughs> we, 
we we sat there. He said he goes. He looked at line. He goes. I'm not even gonna say this line. And he moves on to the next line. And everyone at this point, I'm sitting there like this with my legs crossed and like trying not to laugh because like because because Coach Dewitt, like as great of a coach as he is and a person he is, he's got a super southern accent and he's reading these rap lyrics and he's. And he's interpreting it the way he wants to interpret, and like yes. I said, it's the it's the wrong way. And um, it was just hilarious, man. Like it was oh, one of those man. moments that, like, I know everyone was uncomfortable. There was not a single person in there that was like, even the coaches were laughing and like, right? Because like, this, yeah, holding their face, the hands over their mouth, just trying not to laugh. I'm keep looking back at my dad. My dad's looking at me, trying not to laugh, but keeping you know that that leadership. And he's like. Like, no, like, exactly, exactly. I'm like, <sighs> biting my face, just trying not to laugh, just holding it all in. He's reading the most explicit, like, thug lines and a country accent. It was just, it was unsettling, uncomfortable for all of us. Like, but yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the, one of my, my, I wouldn't say like proudest moments, but one of the one of the highlights of my senior year, um, especially off the field. You know, we had a lot of great mo- moments in the locker room, a lot of bad moments too. You know, Sandy, you said you had a, a similar story um, oh, yeah. that happened at Hendricks, yeah? Sort of. So uh, I cannot. There's no way I can come up with something better than the thumb in the butt and like that lyric. And uh, if, if that Drew told me about that before we came on, and I'm like, damn. I mean, that's that's funny as hell. Uh, Drew, you remember this. Now, you were here at Hendrix when this happened. We had a guy who, for whatever reason, loved to walk around the locker room after practice with nothing but shoulder pads on. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like nothing like a Matthew pads. Rockefeller type guy. That's right. Exactly. exactly. So, Coach Burnett was secondary's coach. For whatever reason, he if he saw something during post-practice film that he had to address right away, he'd come in and have a full-on conversation with this guy with just his shoulder pads on. The, oh, God. And I'm just oh, thinking, dude, oh, like, <laughs> can you not say, hey, let's go to my office. I saw something. Can we talk about this? He's sitting there telling him what happened in practice. Meanwhile, I'm like, can you not see how ridiculous it is that this guy's around in shoulder pads right now? You know, it will be funny if that guy had, like, a, a, a secret little lifestyle he was living. He's like high school kids or something. He's like kids, boys, men. Just listen here, buddy. I don't care what you're wearing. I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> exactly. No, he, he definitely, we definitely had that one in the locker room. Like you said, Matthew Rockefeller would literally have his helmet on with his shoulder pads on <laughs> with his cleats on. He's like, I'm ready to go. And he would run out the locker room. <laughs> Ass naked. That little boy flying all around down there. <laughs> just, he's just, and it was, look, here's one thing that, here's one thing that shocked me that when I came to Grappel of how close they all were together. Like, at Hebron, Hebron's like, you have Plano kids, you have Frisco kids, you have a little bit of, you know, kids everywhere who is just, like, kind of like, they're cool, but if you didn't grow with each other, you're not, like, like that. At Capel, they've known each other since forever. Like, they all grew up, and they were so comfortable with each other. I was like, oh, my God, they're comfortable. Like, what the hell? And I was like, what? Matthew just impersonated every coach, being goofy as hell, ass naked, nothing but shoulder pads on. And they would literally walk outside, like literally walk outside with cleats on and his birthday suit. Looking like he's like a lingerie playboy <laughs> mom. Just <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. There's a, there's a story about Matt too, because um, I went to I went to middle school with him. Like you said, I, yeah. I grew up with this guy. Um, 
<laughs> first day of seventh grade football have like every you know it's the first time you have to shower in a locker room where it's like you know normal you got to take a full yeah. shower and pee you would kind of just take like a body shower or whatever um this dude first day of practice everyone's kind of you know we're getting undressed um and we're just kind of like slowly doing it getting kind of everyone's kind of like just putting on the axe body spray shower right. Rockefeller right. comes bolting in, throws off his pads, throws off his pants, gets butt-ass naked the first time we've ever got a shower at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning, just hops in the shower, and everyone's like, all right. And then that, that, from there, we followed suit. But he he was the first one, the quickest guy I've ever seen undress after a football practice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, no, he, he, he was great. I, I, I miss Rock. I wish, I wish you know, uh, we, he got to play longer because he was a freaking stud. Uh, he yeah. just hit a growth spurt. Uh, but – I'm sure, you know, I'm sure – or not a gross person. He had a gross stunt. He hasn't grown since, like, seventh grade. He was that size in seventh grade. I just want to let you know that. Um, oh, he was that big. Yeah, he was huge in seventh grade. He was a monster. Um, but I'm sure you've had your, your chew-ins from your father, you know, being a coach. What, what is that like, having, having a coach as, as your dad? You know, I'm sure he's not like that all the time, but I'm also sure he is like that most of the time. You know, on and off the field because he's a character, man. I come practices. He was the loudest coach on the practice field at seven hey, o'clock in the morning. You know, he had, hollering. One thing about my dad, he won't change because as long as football is still in existence, he's gonna be who he is. Even if football's gone, football made him. You know what I mean? Like being a small country town in Alabama, you know, playing football. That's the type of guy my dad was. He had passion for it. Football really just kind of like molded all of our lifestyles. So it was like, we all get it from our dad. Obviously, I get it from my dad, you know. And he'll get out there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that. People love it. I love it. But he's not like that all the time. He's really like, he's really focused, man. He's like, whatever he has on his mind, he'll get it done. But, you know, he's normal dad, I guess, really laid back. You know, he won't really. He's not really like he's aggressive, but he's not really like too aggressive to the point where he's like annoying. He'll only get on you when you need to be get on. He's not like one of those like, okay, what are you doing? Let me blah 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 blah. You know, like a mom or like a helicopter dad. He's like, you know, a typical dad, like, hey, if you didn't kill him, I know he's gonna learn from it. Just go back outside. You know, stuff like that. So, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember this. I remember seeing him interact with the middle school kids and how scared they were of him because <laughs> they were he, he would get on them and you would see him, yeah. you know, and he, but there were there were some mornings whenever he was helping out during fall camp where um, Coach Foster and him would would have a yell off, I believe. And, and Coach Foster's a loud dude. And he. Yeah, he could, and and, Co- and Coach Wise was out there, you know, hooting and hollering with him, you know, opposite sides because he's a defensive coach. Coach Foster was an offensive guy. And they were on opposite ends of the end zone having a hollering match at each other, basically. Ah, he's talking. Exactly. And, I mean, he, he was a character. I wish I wish I would have gotten some more, you know, been able to be coached by him. I wish he was at the high school level with Capel because yeah. he seemed like he had great, a great coach, knew a lot about it, you know, off the field as well, not just on the field. Uh, and that reflects it as you as a person like we talked yeah. about earlier. But you had two other brothers, right, um, yep. that, that have gone on to have great college and NFL careers. Yeah. Um, what was that like, having just two older brothers, um, you know, having to look up to? Because I'm an only child. I, I believe, Sandy, you, you're, you're, the older, you're the oldest of your, of your siblings. So um, what was it like being the youngest, having two guys to look up to? What was that like? Well, I'm going to start off by saying 
Sandy, you're the oldest, right? Um, I know all those, like, have you played for all those teams in the back? I don't know, like, if they're professional or clubs. I, I don't know anything about soccer other than that. I have definitely never played. That's Sporting Kansas City. They're an MLS team. I, okay, I was okay, not that okay. good. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just saying, like, I've always, like, looked up to my older brother because the oldest brother was always, like, the one who set the tone for the family, the one who did what mom and dad, you know, said, the one that pretty much was the living image of what mom and dad wanted to preach because he was the first child. Oh, parents are always excited with the first child. They put their all energy in the first child. You know, the first child received all the love and all the yada yada. But after a while, growing up, I just took that and applied to myself as a younger, as the youngest. I always just applied what I learned from my parents teaching my brother. I'm just sitting in the back. Half the time I was too young to even get fussed at. You know, if I, if I do something goofy, my big brother would get cussed out or you know, in trouble because he didn't look look after me like he was supposed to. So, you know, but that always drove my brother. Like, he, he told me, it always drove, driven him to always do better because he didn't want to get in trouble off what I did. And if that was the case, he wanted to always, like, show us the right direction. He wanted to show us more than he could tell us. So, being growing up with two brothers who are the exact same but yet complete opposite, Oldest brother is the passive guy. I don't know if you watched Avatar, Last yes. Airbender. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, we we all like we all talk about like how Dietrich's the Earth Nation. If you like, he like he's identical damn near to the Earth King. Like goofy, yeah. but yet very very wise, <laughs> but very very good at what he does. He always underestimates like the silly guy, but then. He takes off their robe. He's, like, super muscular under, and he can fight. You know what I mean? He's, like, you know, so that's my brother was. In Junior Olympics, he was the number one kid in the nation in track out of, like, 20,000, 100,000 kids. That was normal for me. You know what I mean? Being, like, five years old, looking around, see my brother get these awards. Says, yeah, yeah, he's number one in the nation. Obviously, because we work hard. Duh. You know, going, going to middle school. My brother getting looked at by the high school coaches. Yeah, that's normal. Yada yada. Have my brother, you know, even act, and even in school, he graduated, damn near top of his class, back to back SC honor roll, all academics. Like I didn't know they had plaques for that. Like big old plaque size of TV upstairs in his room, and then back to back SC player, all that. My other brother, very physical, very like he's like the Fire Nation king. You know, he wants it all elegant, but at the same time, he'll do whatever, you know, if he's in his way, I don't care if it's good or bad, my call is bigger than you. Like, my brother, he's very ambitious. You know, the one at Kansas, he was the all-decade player, all-Big 12, all-decade player, back-to-back, first team, all-Big 12, first player in integration in the Big 12 to do something. I forgot what it was. I thought that was huge. I was like, what? And, I, yeah, so seeing that, as a kid, my brothers was just balling out, and I was doing the same, just like unconsciously. It was normal because, like, my environment was like work hard, be like this. So, product of your environment, you know. If you get a kid who is around certain activities, he's gonna grow up understanding all the activities, being that way. So, growing up that way, I just kind of learned to 
soak in everything just by default. You know, I was always a very like curious kid, even though if I'll be in goofy, I'll always like listen to everything around me, be very observant. And then I'll hit people with stuff that they didn't think I'll know. Well, I, I, I was listening, but you were playing around. Yeah, but my, my, I have two ears for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can be goofy, but I'm aware of my surroundings. That's one thing I learned, to be aware, stuff like that. But I'm trying to still live out my brother's dream, you know, trying to be like my brothers. I'm back, my, you know, I look up to both of them. My, they're my idols, they're my heroes, you know, if, if you want to go down our route. But I look up to them, you know, so, yeah. So it's pretty fun, pretty cool. Big yeah, Solomon, I'm going to have to call a timeout real quick. Did you just compare Dietrich to Uncle Iroh? Uncle, yeah. From Avatar? Yes. That, hey, Drew, that's that's an MVP right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what Speaking a bull. Oh, man. I draw. Okay, yes, I remember this about him. Yes, he's a really good drawler. I drew this on my brother Dietrich. I don't know how clear it is. Yeah, we, we can see it. Yeah. We can see it. But I really just jotted it down. I was watching it the other day, not the other day, like a couple months ago again. And I was just like, start drawing. And I drew another one of my brother. He was part of the uh, Fire Nation, if I could pull that up. It was boys. Honestly, my football pins and my Sharpies, not much. These are my brothers. You know how they look? You understand? Like, that's literally how they are. Like, literally. Like, literally how they are. And I'm more of a nation guy because. Uh, Air Nation, whatever you want to call it, the Avatar Ball, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it like that. Uh, something you said that really uh, resonated with me. So, it you, you've only known me for what, a few minutes, but you know yeah. Drew for I guess a little bit. So Drew and I are actually kind of the same as you are. We're uh, we can certainly be deep thinkers, but when we were at Hendrix, we were known as the silly boys. So, like we, right. we were joking up, cracking up all this time, and and the seniors are thinking like, dude, what? Like these guys aren't worth anything. Like, how can they? How dare they come into our program and take over what we built? And it's a bunch of guys just doing all these dumb jokes and stuff and laughing and all this stuff. Right. But it's like we certainly have the capacity to think higher. It's just not what we feel at the moment. Right. Exactly. And at the moment, have time we're around these guys for like four hours max a, a day. You know, if, if we're not in the locker room for thirty minutes to an hour post-practice an hour, during practice two hours, meetings 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Half the time, I'm just literally having fun. I'm not going to be a philosopher. I'm not going to be deep thinker. I'm not going to, you know, go past the surface level right now. It's football. It's supposed to be in like a psych mindset and hype, happy, have fun with it. That's what a lot of people forget about me. Like, I'm going to have fun with football. Like, I don't care how old I get. I'm going to have fun with football. And literally, literally, I get this more I get older. Literally, I understand it more and more. When I stop having fun with the game, that's when I'm literally like done. Like when I have fun, that means I'm I'm, I'm in it. So, and I'll yeah. say this about having fun. You know, you, you obviously play at the Division One level. It's a little different than it is at Division Three. But you know, the things like fall camp and all that—that's the same. Like you're spending time with your brothers, your friends, and all that. And you can't get through that without having fun. Yes, it's, it's impossible. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I will go deeper right now, but I'll talk to y'all after the podcast. But there's a lot, a lot of reasons behind a lot of stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I you guys talk about having fun. I I was the epitome of hey, like we've got 
we're we're down. It's it's third and eight. We need a first down. We're in the huddle. Hey, you guys, uh, what are you guys eating after after the game? You know, like just you you have to. There's there's moments, of course, where you need to be 100. percent But there's also you got to have fun. Like you said, like I yeah. I, I actually I quit football after my freshman year because I wasn't having fun. It it became a, a job to me, and I, at that that point I was you know yeah. looking forward to having a coaching career and moving on with my life yeah. and. Um, playing wasn't an option anymore that I wanted to have. And I wasn't having fun, like you said. And so, like you said, once you're not having fun, you, you, you don't want to play it anymore. And that's how I felt. Yeah. In my opinion, it's the best decision. I've I've kept a close relationship with the guys that I, um, you know, bonded with like Sandy, a few others at Hendricks and um, I've enjoyed it. But at the same time, like I I love the decision to stop playing and moving on with my life and and going on and doing bigger and better things. I feel like, um, But just like just like doing bigger, better things for you, you know, being a Division One football, you know, athlete is not a not not a you know bad thing to knock on. Like UTSA yeah. man, uh, doing your thing. I know it was a tough tough road to get there. Um, not really playing much at Coppell. I personally always felt like you were underused. You know, your size, your speed, your athleticism, um, definitely underused. But I wasn't a coach. I'm on the offensive side. I'm a tight end. What do I know? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I feel like they should put me a linebacker. And they did the same thing here. They just they literally just moved me to Will linebacker. So mm-hmm. I'm about to show them that like I should have been here and I'm killing that practice. Like fall camp now, dude. I'm like looking at myself on film like holy shit. <laughs> Humbly saying. But yeah. I know, of course. I mean, but but then again, what what was the recruiting process like for you? Um you know, just ha- having the name of Wise in the, in, in the Texas area, I'm assuming it was a big name with your brothers going to school, your dad as yeah, a coach. A bit, a um, having that kind of, I'm assuming, helped you a little bit. But also, you know, you're your own person. Again, I, like I said, you're a great football player. Uh, I just thought you were underutilized, probably didn't have as much film as, as you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, how did the recruiting process go for you? Well, I'm going to go to the, um, back when you were saying uh, how my last name kind of is advantage of, you know, being high school football, even in college, going to NFL, like, same thing. But um, I remember one time I was in Arkansas camp. I killed it, Arkansas camp. Bunch of big-name kids. I was outworking them, as usual. I'm, I'm used to being underdog, overlooked, until I just perform. And it's like, who is this kid? Like, what? Um, I was in Arkansas camp, and I made it all the way up to Brett Bleeman's office, right? Sitting down with him, he showed me all his awards. He showed me all this. I felt like he was about to offer me. Yeah, we found out you're Dietrich's brother, and I want to get to know you a little more. So we're not gonna offer you today. I'm like, oh my what? I'm like, what? So stuff like that. If I just didn't, you know, if I wasn't so like outgoing and what's your last name? You know, that's what they said. Yeah, he reminded me of Dietrich, so they compared everything I did to Dietrich at the camp. So, I was like, oh, anyway. So I didn't get the offer because I was his brother. So I don't know how that that still doesn't sit with me till this day. It's kind of weird to me, but it's whatever. But that's one thing that kind of like, uh, and also at the rivals camp, that recruiting process was different because it's my first time going to a big camp where kids all around like America and kind of like Texas area meet up and I end up being like number 17 out of the top 20 I I open it like the kid who came in there no name and who left with all the hype and I was number 17 and I don't like the hype 
I like the like I like results. You know what I mean? I'll I'll play in the hype every once in a while, but if you really know me, I don't like that. Like I don't like that hype stuff. Like I'll play into it. I'm really good at playing to it because you got to be professional every once in a while. If you're gonna say something, just go along with the flow, but understand that's not what you want as an athlete. So schools will come to me, you know, they saw those rivals this and that, yada yada. It was kind of it was very, very what can I say? Overwhelming as a 16, 17. I was actually a 17, 17 year old kid to go through having to make life decisions, literally like life decisions. Where do I want to live? Why do I want to live there? Not just because the coach is calling me five times a day, you know, kissing up to me, not because it's Michigan and Jim Harbaugh's there, you know, stuff like that. I want to go to Michigan because of Jim Harbaugh, but it was just a bunch of stuff happening. And I was feeding into Jim Harbaugh and not paying attention to schools like UTSA, SMU, North Texas. I had offers from all those schools. And then I had Kansas, but at the time Kansas was piss poor. You know, they broke a record for the amount of games they lost. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, I had an offer from there, but I want to play my brother. And I was going to commit to Kansas until you had uh, – the coach, I think his name was Thibodeau, he wanted a Juco guy. He was like, I told you, should have committed two months ago or last month or when I, when, I, when I told you to. And I'm like, that's not fair because I have stuff rolling in. I can't just commit to a school while I have options. My dream school is still on the burner. I'm talking to LSU. I'm talking like Frank Wilson at the time. I'm talking to Ed Orgeron through like just like back and forth messages, whatever. And I'm getting geeked up. Like, I'm like, I want to go to Kansas. I, I wanna, I'm waiting for this LSU offer and the Michigan offer. I'm like, I'm not going to go to Kansas. Like, what's going on? Next thing you know, like four weeks away from uh, signing day, and I'm like, I, gotta, I have to go somewhere. I have stuff, Kansas, SMU, North Texas. I don't want to be that close to home because my parents, they love me, but they love me a little too much sometimes where I don't have get a chance to experience and grow things on my own as a man. And I always understood that was important for me. And, yeah, so I didn't want to go close to home. I'm still nervous, still like, okay, it's a month away from, you know, being offered. All right. Kansas it is. I call Kansas. He's like, yeah, buddy, uh, we're done, and I'm about to move. We got a Juco guy. So he goes to OU. And I'm like, you just tell the kids this. And then I know you can't control if you get fired or move or not. But, like, this is like, oh, my God. So I have nowhere to go. And I'm thinking, okay. So next thing you know, Art Riles hits, hits me up with a kill girl, like a JUCO. It's one semester. But I'm still – I still got offered by Baylor, but it was through a JUCO. It was like, I need to get my grades up because at the time I didn't take the ACT, so I need to take that. I did decent ACT, actually. And he was like, yeah, go here for a semester, Kilgore, Juco, and then come to Baylor. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That sounds like promising. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not a Juco guy, so I can be able to survive that. My dad's like, no, that's not what you want. You don't want that Juco life. He was like, you might be there longer than what you expect, like, all this and that. So it's kind of like, I was like, man, fuck it. Fuck all this like, recruit shit because it's overwhelming, like, 
And then they sometimes they just get guys because he has a five-star. Like, I'll be better than some guys or because he has a five-star. He's way better than me. Almost like a, jo- a, a Josh Fink type guy. You know? Yeah, exactly. One of the best players I've seen in, in, at a high school level. Damn near like an Obi Obiallo. I want to say he's better than Obi, but you could stretch to say he was better than Obi at a high school level. Obi was, you know, he wasn't as fed to as much on the field like Josh. But Josh was like that. He was shaking up kids who was coming to Boise State, shaking up kids who had, like, OU offers and all these big top – and then he got no offers and he messed around and go to, you know, the school he went to now. So that was kind of what I was experiencing as well. But I didn't get the offers that I wanted to. But next you know, I get a call. I call Frank Wilson at LSU. I'm sitting outside of uh, the, the gymnasium as they're building, finished touch to the basketball facility. I'm over there like, oh, I, had, I had AM off. I'm calling around, calling around. Next thing you know, I call Frank Wilson. His phone's dead. I'm like, okay, no LSU then. I get a, a San Antonio number call me. Hey, how's it going? Hey, buddy, this is uh, the OSU coach. Yada, yada, yada. I moved to uh, no, San Antonio. I'm here with LSU coach Frank Wilson. They're in the background. Hey, how's it going? We want to give you an offer, man. We, we love you. I'm like, oh, okay. We're doing this. All right, bet. And then Frank Wilson, he pulls me in. He was a great guy at that, you know, at the time that he was recruiting me. And I'm like, all right, well, let's do this. And I commit to UTSA after I visit. San Antonio was beautiful as hell, first off. That's really drove me in. So palm trees everywhere, actually. Lakes right here by Austin. So, you know, I'm here at UTSA. And it doesn't matter where you go. It matters what you do when you get there. So Khalil Mack went to Buffalo. I'm at a bigger school than Buffalo. So Marcus Davenport went first round out of UTSA. A lot of kids get overlooked at UTSA. So it's what you do when you get to a, a, a you know, a place. And you, you get championship powerhouse NFL teams like the Patriots who don't even get big-name guys. You don't even shop at – not even say shop, because that sounds kind of like postmodern, but pre-modern, what do you call that? But, like – Getting guys for your team, you go Marshall, small school, you go to like Colgate, get a tight end, you know, stuff like that. So I'll never get discouraged after that, after I kind of like had that concept in my mind my freshman year. A lot of kids around me, I could have been here, I could have been here. We're all at the same place, and I was work. If you keep bitching, you're going to be bitching for four years, and then bitching after that four years, how do you hold you? They're never going to hold you. You determine your future. Never let another man dictate the fate of your own life, your own career. So when I got here, I tried to work as hard as I can. And, you know, it was hard being behind Marcus Davenport for a while, first-round guy, and I ended up starting my sophomore year behind him, and I got injured. Boom, now I'm here, starting linebacker for UTSA. So I love my journey. I'm never going to pass it up. You know, so, yeah. No, I mean, that's – that, you know, when people talk about recruiting, talk about how, how pretty it is and like, you know, this and that, you know, that's a real recruitment thing. You know, that, that's what happens to a lot of kids across the country. It's, it's not a pretty thing. Um, there's yeah. a lot of, like you said, coaches moving left and right, especially at the division one level, you know, promising you something here. And then two it's weeks funny. later they're gone. 
Um, it's a very rare thing that happens on a daily basis, I feel like, to a lot of athletes, not just yourself, but many others. Um, and like you said, once you find that place, it's about finding who you are, finding your role, and really working. And I know your Twitter bio says you no one will outwork you, if that's correct, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, um, I said I'll be the hardest person, in the hardest working person in the world. That's my bio. Exactly. So that, and that, like you said, that, that's all that, that's all you have to do is once you get somewhere, it's about working hard and, and doing what you're doing. And sometimes that takes time. You know, it's, it's always not going to happen that first day you're going to come on campus and be a day one starter, you know, especially right. at a college level. It's, right. it's a top talent from all around coming to, even at, even at UTSA, even at Hendricks, it was like that, you know, yeah. division three, it's, you go there and you, I was, a, I thought I was like one of the better tight ends in our district and then whatever. And I go to, I go to Hendricks and there's a guy from uh, Georgia, I believe, where Doug is from, um, who's 10 times better than me. You know, he's a three, he's a senior, but he's bigger, stronger, faster than me, does everything, smarter than me, everything. And so it's all about learning. And I know your, your process has been, you know, probably longer than what you want, but, you know, sometimes it takes time for it to, to grow what you want it to be. And like yeah. I said, you're, you're super talented. You've got a lot of athleticism. You've got, you know, great brothers with leadership that I'm assuming is really well, you know, right yeah. before we hopped on your brother Dietrich actually called you um, yeah. on the phone. So like I said, you keep, keep going at that, man. I mean, you, you're on the right path. You know, you've just changed positions. Um, I think it's going to be worthwhile, man. But speaking of, you know, you're on the field, what was that sack like? You know, I know you've only had one in your career, but still yeah. that, that, that's something that no one can take away from you getting a sack, man. What was that like? Well, Everything leading up to that sack was just like it was like a monkey off my back, just like a brush of fresh air. Like, whew! Like I knew I could do this. I wasn't too excited, but I was like, okay, that's number one. About time, let's go. You know what I mean? That's my mindset. I I, I didn't want to get because one thing I learned from Fire Nation King Daniel Wise, <laughs> my brother. You know, never he 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 said like he told me this when I was in tenth grade actually. When I was a Hebrew, and they put me on JV2, and, you know, got people, I, I guess a lot of people, you know, don't understand what JV stuff is when I'm talking to them sometimes, but in Texas football, you have three JV teams. Everywhere else, you have one JV team. JV1 is like the D1, I guess, or like the, the tough kids, the kids who peaked in high school, like they were just like grown men with full facial hairs and muscles looking like they had two kids and a mortgage. Like, <laughs> and it's like, I couldn't compete with that because I was, I bloomed, honestly, I bloomed not even in high school. Like, I, I was tall and shit, but I was even, like, muscular. But he told me never, always keep a level head. Like, don't get too happy. Don't get too sad. Understand your goal. Understand what you did and keep moving. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Bet. And when I got that sack, I was mad because... It didn't happen sooner. I was really mad. I was like, should have been half this last year. You know, should have been half this. You know, damn. So, you know, I won, a, I won another one. And I was playing so hard that game. That was a sack for a safety that they didn't, they didn't call. Because I sacked them literally in the goal line. And I looked up. I didn't see my two points. I was like, man. And I was rushing so hard that game. I gave my other teammate two sacks. Because the corporate didn't want to come to my side. So stuff like that can dictate, like, just – and I took compliment to that because I still disrupted the offensive line. 
I still pushed one sub off his line 15 yards back and cut in and made the quarterback see me and go the other way and went right into my DN twice. Gave him two sacks, you know, stuff like that. And I will even, I'm not even mad about that because I know what NFL coaches look for. Yeah, they want the stats and all, but how do you play? How do you disrupt the offense? So that's what I keep in mind. I don't try to, you know, orientate myself against all the hype with all the BS. But yeah. Yeah, Solomon, I mean, it's it's weird. Like, you're saying things that maybe um, people who didn't play the sport wouldn't understand, but I don't know about Drew, but I certainly see where you're coming from. I thought that was really interesting, what you said about the sack and and how, like, you were frustrated by it almost. And I think that speaks to your competitive nature, you know, absolutely. And yeah. I, I had a similar experience. Actually, in your neck of the woods, we were playing in Seguin, and just outside okay. of San Antonio, I – I had my yeah. first game-winning kick there. It was a field yeah. goal before that where I kind of yeah. had that feeling. I was like, dang, I didn't, I didn't hit that as well as I wanted to. Like it, it, or I should have been better, I don't, it, more prepared, et cetera, whatever. But, yeah. um, but I wanted to get to this real quick. So, you know, I, I don't – this is more about you. I mean, you are an ex- fascinating guy. And I'm not I'm just saying that to flatter you. Um, I didn't want to make this about your brothers, but I do have a quick question about them. We were talking about mm-hmm. the recruiting process. Um, when they were playing in college – did you and your family go watch them play? Did you go on recruiting visits with them? Uh, actually, yes. Okay. I was like, we were out as the youngest, and as the first, second born in the family, that recruiting process is big. You know, the first born, like, oh, yeah, we're going everywhere with you. Everywhere, in the hotel, in the shower, in the coach's office, on the field. So, Soaking in that experience, it became normal. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this is the next step. High school, college, NFL. You know, some people get discouraged in high school. Seeing that shit, I'm like, yo, that's dope. Drag them around everywhere. So, yeah. Seeing everything. Did you did you go see any of Dietrich's games at Arkansas? Every game. That's what I'm saying. Every like, game. everywhere. Like, every game, the Dietrich's game, on the sidelines, everywhere. Fortunately. For Dietrich, he was there for a few years when they were actually pretty good. So yeah. I struggle with this because Arkansas is any is it anyone with a pulse knows we suck. Okay, in the last few years, so that's all Drew knows. So the entire time I've known Drew, all I've heard is you know Arkansas is trash, and I can't respond because we are we we can't <laughs> win an SEC game to save our lives, and we struggle against Portland State, get blown out to Western Kentucky. So I just. I need your help here, Solomon, if you will. Can you help out in Arkansas and, and tell Drew that there was a time where Fayetteville was live? Like, it was a nice place to be at. Yes. I was actually – and I think about it now. I was actually blessed to be in that era where we – Arkansas – I'm going to say we because I'm a diehard Arkansas fan as well because that's because my brother. You know, where we were like a powerhouse in the SEC. I was literally talking with this – uh, about this with my friends, like at least within this month or last month of July. We were talking about Jonathan Williams, and Jonathan Williams was texting me, and we were talking about like training and shit. And he was like, Who texted me? I was like, Yeah. John- Jonathan Williams was like the running back in the SEC at the time. And it's like, You don't, feel, you can't find an Arkansas no more. The, those were other schools like Georgia and Alabama, LSU type running backs when we were going head to head with Alabama and the game was like three to three to seven or 10 to seven or two to three, because we had a sack in the backfield safety and they couldn't even score. So they kick a field goal. 
you know, where we're putting Mizzou in her butt when we're having LSU or taking that, taking the boot trophy home with us three, uh, three times out of five years. You know what I mean? Beating LSU, like that era of Arkansas where we were just going around kicking kids' ass and going to Liberty Bowl and all that stuff, just having fun with it. That was like, that was, you know, that was the era where I was just like loving Arkansas. And then they just went downhill. Like, I knew they were going to be, eh, in 2015 where they lost against Toledo. 16, I was like, yeah. Toledo? Like, what? And then ever since that, I feel like they got, like, in their heads too much. And that's what I feel like. But. They did. I, I just – I think you were there at the right times. You're mentioning – I mean, that LSU game, 17 nothing, got the boot on a cold night, just beat the hell out yeah. of them. And then get, uh, you get Ole Miss the next week, blow them out. They were number eight in the country. Yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I that. So, you were there for these games. You know what it's like to be in that stadium, man, when that hog call goes, and it's a good hog call. I, I want to get Drew to Fayetteville to see it when it's good. It's just not good right now, but – it's something, isn't it? Everybody in the stands is going along with us. Everybody's oh, rumbling. <gasps> it's like it's like that's a goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Smelling the popcorn, the beer, just 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 boom, boom, cans going off like that was an experience. Like like I'm glad I get to witness that before you know. Society's changed with the COVID. Things might not go back to normal. We live in a video game era times where we see the stuff in the video games. Now it's real life. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think it's gonna go back to normal like that no more. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, Are I they, just wanted Drew to know that there were some good times, and maybe we'll get back to those soon. I don't know. But I also got asked. So Dietrich not only plays in a good era for Arkansas, goes on to New England and and uh, plays in. Gosh, did he play? Yeah, he would have played against Atlanta, right? Too. No. That was the uh, that was the senior year in Arkansas. Okay. He his first Super Bowl was the Rams. No, the Eagles. Eagles. Tough. Lost. Tough. Because I remember I was like, "What? It would be the year I come, or he comes, and we just fucking lose." Like what? But that Rams game was it was boring, but it was fun. Yeah. So you you were there for that, right? Just make oh. Not missing a moment. Nice. Not missing a moment. And if and if you know me, like I'll try to get the most out of every experience I can. I believe that. And like what I haven't experienced, I'll try to experience that. I'm gonna tell y'all a story about the you wanna hear a story about the Super Bowl that's like kind of mind blowing? Hey, let's go. So first Super Bowl I met, I'm like, okay, I know there's gonna be people here. I know celebrities walk around Super Bowl like it's just a rodeo and like everybody's everywhere. Like just everybody, I don't know. Floyd Mayweather just walking past because I'm on a certain level where it's like, you know, players' family and like extra paid for, you know, like suites area. And Floyd Mayweather's is like in the room, you can hear him. He, he walks past, he goes in that room, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell? You get, uh, Freaking, do you know a guy named Michael Blackson? Well, uh, he's like he's like a huge black actor. So like Michael Blackson was there. I'm like, what? Yeah, the whole modern family cast like dispersed out everywhere. And that was fun. That was cool. And I go in the back. A guy named JB Smooth is just over there getting popcorn with uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, D Hop, D Hopkins. 
he's just walking past with like I guess his manager or agent or a friend that looks like he's kind of professional with him a little bit. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and I start getting pictures with a lot of people, post-party, I meet these, I forgot who these guys were, but we were like just getting in everywhere, backstage. I'm with Meek Mill on stage with Meek Mill. Like, what? I'm like, I'm like, okay, Meek Mill's gonna be here. I make sure I got to dress the part, look the part. I'm over here hyped up. I knew I was going to start roaming around. I knew I had enough badges to get me wherever I wanted to go. So I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and get rid of these bubble guts and experience this moment. I was like, let me just – I almost went into full con artist mode, you know? I had to believe who I was. At the time, my guys were saying, to say that you played for the Patriots, I'm like, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. They will believe you. You're six five, Solomon. So all right, whatever. I already, I already had the credentials to pass on. I walked past. They didn't even question me. And now so I was like, oh, this match is about to be lit. I'm going to back. J Lo was praying with her team. I'm like, I'm like J Lo. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what? That's J Lo. And I tried to get starstruck because I'll seem out of place. So I'm just like looking around my phone out, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, you never, like, one thing I learned, and I met Ace Rocky doing the same thing. Never act like you're always, act like you've been somewhere before, you know what I mean? So, I'm backstage, next thing you know, I knew where Meek Mill was, was going to be. I smelled weed. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, there's somewhere around here, somewhere. I'm smelling weed. They said, oh, that Snoop Dogg about to come out. Snoop Dogg right, walks right past me. I'm a little taller than him, but we're down to the same height. I'm like, oh, yeah. Ludacris is sitting right there beside me. Like, literally, like, Ludacris is, like, right here on stage, just looking around, about to go up, perform. Lil Duval waves at me. I have video of all this. But I really want to meet Meek Mill. So I'm on stage around some of the players in the family. And I kind of just, like, get on on stage, right? Boom. No one stopped me, all right. Oh, God, I'm on stage. Meek Mills, I see a yellow vest walk right beside me. Stop. Talk to some guy. I'm like, I'm like, Meek Mill. It's like me. I'm like, he's like, yo, what? And he's like, that was Trey Flowers, actually. Trey, Trey Flowers, he's with, uh, he's with uh, Lions now, something like that. He was at Arkansas with D Church. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I know. He was even getting starstruck. Big old kid. He was like, I know. Like, I listen to this music since I was a kid. I've been listening to music all his life. Blah, 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 blah. He turns to me and Trey. He was like, walk me on stage. Hit us on chest. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh. <clears throat> all right. I had Cartier's on at the time, so I'm like, let me go ahead and just play the part. I didn't walk on stage because I, I – it, I didn't play for the team, so I didn't want to do all that. But I saw how comfortable Trey Flowers was on stage. Meek was going crazy. I'm like, you know what? I was walking on stage, and I started just getting hyped with him. And then Meek Mill, he's just looking at my camera the whole time I'm recording. He's thinking I'm the player. He puts on around me stuff. I'm like, he's on stage rapping Dreams and Nightmares, the, the song, Dreams and Nightmares. And I'm like, I'm like I was going crazy. I'll post it on my staff. I'll post it on my Instagram, but 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 yeah.
yeah, that was that was live, man. That was the best moment. Honestly, not in my life, but so far that's like the top three best moments of my life. Yeah. Man, that was crazy. Then the Rams game, I'm with Joe Dyson in the elevator. I'm like, at first I, I thought he was somebody else. And I looked at his badge, I was like, Joe, he's thinking I'm somebody the way I'm dressing. He's like pulling me along everywhere, having a full conversation. People see me talking to Joe Theismann. I'm getting past everywhere. Kylie Jenner walks past because Travis Scott's performing. So I'm like at the lower, lower level where everybody's like, where everybody's somebody. Akon walks right past. He looks at me and waves. I'm on like, I, I had like, okay, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I, was, I had a couple of champagnes in me, you know. So I'm over there loose. Loose as a goose. I'm feeling myself right now. I go, Akon, my guy. He goes, he goes, I guess, I guess in the industry, everybody knows somebody and you can't lose that connection. So you have to act like you know him just in case you did business him in the past. So Akon comes up to me and goes, my guy, I haven't seen you in a long time. Back of my head, I'm like, hey, idiot, you don't even know me. But I'm going to continue to play this role right now. Like, I love it. He goes, man, how's it going, man? How's life? How you living? I'm, I'm living good. I'm living great now. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, I, everything's doing good. How's the family? He's just talking. You know, he's just making them talk, just talking. I'm like, I love it, but. I'm gonna talk right back. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, the business don't go with you too. So like, yeah, man, you know, I'm trying. I'm saying, I feel I respect that. I said, can I get a picture? He said, no problem. He told his wife to hold his phone, hold his drink, put his arm around me, stop smiling. He looks at me. And then he was like, all right, man, see you again. I'm like, take it easy. My mom's like, over the corner, just speechless, jaw wide open, looking at me like, how did you do that? My dad's like, that's my son. <laughs> my dad's there with the same type of guy just like you know just, just out there just having fun and man I met like what's his name I forgot his name but that night was crazy it was fun it was fun yeah that's insane like that that's the ultimate proof of I mean like if you're if you're at home listening to this and there's some girl that you don't want to talk to but you're too shy to do it Take, take lessons from Solomon about how this guy pretty much ran through every big time celeb in the music industry in one night. And yeah. now his, his phone and all these valuable videos and stuff on it. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Look at this guy. So, yeah, so that, that, that was a, a moment in a turning point where I was like, I love this and I don't want it to stop. I feel like I'm gonna meet these guys again, like Meek. I feel like I'm gonna meet uh, Akon again. So let me just keep on the path that I want to go in life. So when I meet, when I meet him again, it's not like a, I'm introducing myself. It's like, remember me from? And there's like, oh, yeah. And that's all, boom. So key word for this year is steadfast because I'm trying to get right back to that point, you know, so. Hey, no, make, make total sense, man. But I'm sure, you know, there, there's going to be no nights in, in San Antonio that are similar to those nights you know, on Super Bowl night, but, um, you know, living in Dallas, San Antonio is a nice city. Um, what, what's the nightlife out in San Antonio? You know, what's, there's some good bars, some good clubs out there that, you know, potentially if Sandy and I were to travel down there, um, somewhere we can, you know, have a nice night. Down yeah. Riverwalk even. Yeah, that, 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 that Riverwalk right there is iconic. 
even though if you're from San Antonio, if you're listening, I guess, I know how tired people get of the Riverwalk after a while because it's like going to the calf. All right, it's the Riverwalk. You can only go to it a certain amount of times and visit the ones, you know, the, the restaurants you want to visit out, you know, before it gets boring and repetitive, you know, but it's fun. Yeah, clubs, I don't really go downtown clubbing that much, you know, I try to like stay away from like the normal lifestyle because I know how fast I can get sucked into that, you know, and just forget myself and then next know I practice at six o'clock in the morning, it's four o'clock, I'm like, oh shit. So I don't want that, that's my biggest fear. And uh, locally we have, bars like the sandbox you have a uh, chicken and pickle i don't know if you heard of that before you have like all these different type of like you know like the whale you have a uh, nano nano something like nano one box but you have some decent bars right here central is known for like bars you know yeah so you have like, a bunch of like rooftop bars these different types of vibes lounges you know brunch bars, daytime bars. So, San Antonio, you don't get bored. What, what about, I mean, I know they're known for certain foods down there, but what about the food? You know, being from Dallas, you know, we've got a handful. We, we've got a nice little, you know, different like different some, types of, yeah, different selection of food. But San Antonio is really known down there for their Tex-Mex. Is that, is that the best thing you've ever done, had down there? Or is it, or is there some other things that are, you know, that are underdogs that, you know, you would, you would pick over some of the Tex-Mex places? Well, I'm about to pull up a restaurant because I was just telling my teammate, like, we got to go to it. It's this place called... Oh, man, I don't think it's up there. But it's this really good place. I forgot the name of it because I think he deleted it because he didn't want nobody to know about it. But, yeah, you have all these authentic small mom-and-pop shops they're popping up everywhere. Some have been there for seven years. Some been there for a year. Some have really good marketing people who've been there for uh, two months, you know, who can get the word out. But you have a bunch of, like, different varieties, a bunch of vegan places here, too. Tons of vegan places here. I actually live, like, right here. There's a food truck spot called The Block, and it's just, like, this uh, opportunity for, like, people who have food trucks to go pay for a lot, $2,000 for a week and make as much money as you can but this COVID thing probably setting them out of business but yeah yeah no for sure I mean I've gone to San Antonio a few times for some basketball tournaments and I mean everything I've eaten down there whether it's barbecue Tex-Mex I mean it, it hits the spot it's it is definitely a, a food capital of the of at least Texas I wouldn't say the Texas. world but but Texas for sure it it, it ranks up one on, on the top maybe for the best best spot for food since you mentioned it you might be right. Yeah, I, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, because that barbecue is insane around here. Yes, I, 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 I've had. I don't remember the place I went to, but I've definitely had their barbecue as well as um, their Tex Mex down there. And that, both of them, man, both spots I went to, they were both on the River Rock. They were both like really top notch places to where I'm yeah. just like. You know, they, they, hey, this is this is one of those spots, man. You know, we, hey, when I come back here, I need to remember. Now I forgot it because yeah. <laughs> because I was super young, but um, I'm sure there's a, there's a ton of places out there. Yeah, it is nice little places too. You gotta find them, you know. Once you find them, it's you know, it's, it's 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 a go. 
you know. But yeah. So Solomon, if we were to like come down for, I'm looking at your schedule here. You got Memphis at home. That could end up being a pretty big game. And you yeah. know, you guys, you pull off the win. You've got a few sacks. You know, a few T for uh, TFLs yeah. and stuff. Uh, what What's the main scene like? What are the guys like? At Hendricks, we always – there was, like – there weren't many places to go, but we had our spot. Like, that's where you go. Do you guys, like, have a spot after the game just to go chill and – Yes. Uh, if it's not my house, if I'm not throwing a party, um, it's Sandbox for sure in a place called Dio's. Those two, you'll probably catch the whole entire team and then some. That's, like, literally, like – Post game, after party, that's like the UTSA is in the building, great win type vibe, you know. But that's sandbox. But you know, if you want to just after a loss, it's more like do small bar, just be all there for a good time, you know, whatever. And a win, everybody's a deals, even girls. So. <laughs> All right, Solomon. So how we kind of like to end our podcast is uh-huh. uh, we like to end it with a funny question. We hit, we hit everyone with the same question. Uh, I'm going to let Sandy introduce it to you, at least the first part, and then uh, I'll probably introduce the second part. But Sandy, hit it okay. with it. Yeah, Drew, we're going to pull a uh, surprise here real quick because this guy is something else, and he has the best story. So I want to hit him with another question, too, before we get to the real ones. Hey, but I'm very ahead. curious to see what he has to say because I keep getting the wrong answer. And I use this question as a screener for my real friends and, like, for potential girlfriends. Like, it, it, a lot hinges on this answer. So I won't think less of you, Solomon. Uh, if you choose the wrong answer per se, because some people are practical here and there, so I get it. But I gotta ask yeah, you. Let me know if it's the wrong answer, though. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. But for whatever okay. reason, I get the feeling you're gonna give me the right answer here. So I, hope so. I don't know. I, I really we'll see. Do. Maybe I'm wrong. But the question is this: Would you rather be able to run 100 miles per hour or fly 20 miles per hour? Fly 20 miles an hour. I knew it. Drew, I told you. I love this guy. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> who doesn't want to who doesn't want to fly? Like <laughs> Drew. I know it's cool to run fast, but twenty miles an hour is a decent little speed, especially to be in the air going right. like that. Solomon, who else is flying, right? Like who else hey, is flying? Yeah, hey, they're all running on the ground, right? But we're up in the air. We're all good. We're up in the air. And isn't it I don't know, I might be wrong. Isn't it like if I'm in the air I can cover more ground than I am on the ground. It's, I don't know how that works, but isn't it something like that? Or am I just totally wrong? I was like, thought in my head all my life. Well, you know, you'll have obstacles on the ground that could impede you and may make you go around. Like, you may have you know, to go around. Hey, nothing's stopping us. That's what I was going to say was, was if you're running, you have, you know, you have stop signs. You've got to, you got to wait to cross. Yes, you're going 100 miles per hour, but you could still get hit. If you're in the air, like, you, you got to watch out for birds and planes. Oh, uh, um, you're the runner. No, they gotta watch out for him. No, I, I, I have not been asked this question, so I will not answer it because it was not directed towards yeah. me. I will answer it another time. Oh, actually, I can't because I know the right answer now, so I can't answer that question. Uh, Here's my thing, Drew. I had a feeling though you were because so many people are practical. My, my teammates, a lot of them are practical. I like. I don't want to hear that. And I, I have a feeling you were gonna pick hundred miles per hour. I think that's the way you were gonna go, right? Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't I can see both sides. I mean, that, you think about it, you think miles per hour, you're going 100 compared to 20. So you're like, oh, well, I, I can get places faster. But like you said, there's obstacles you got to deal with. You know, you got to deal with cars, other people running 100 miles per hour, potentially. Yeah. 
right. again, flying, you have less. We also got to deal with weather. You know, if it's rain and storming, do you want to be in the air flying? You got to think from both sides. Pros but and if cons. I'm running 100 miles per hour, I'm going to be outside in that weather as well. Right. Or two. Or right. if I'm running 100 miles an hour, I can hit a rapid fly. If you're thinking that way. But I'd rather, I'd rather fly, get over with. <laughs> it gets See it. what I'm flying over. I had, I just had a feeling, man. You just certain people come along, and you just, you just think, you get this feeling. But uh, Drew, are we right. ready? This is, I, I like, I think this is gonna be really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first question that we normally ask our guests, um, is it, is it allowed to, to date the coach's daughter? Like, is it acceptable? Would you, would you do that? <laughs> and it's not the head coach, so it's not, so it's not like the head man. It's, it's any coach. It I would never do that. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no, but you know I'm respect. I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm respectful guys. So I wouldn't I would not do that because of a certain boundary of I know how he views his daughter and what I'm portraying behind his back and to his daughter, and I I could break her heart. I could you know make her fall in love. I I, I don't know. Usually they fall in love, but. It, <laughs> My daughter, she's having a bad day, or something, or why is my daughter acting like this, or what's going on? I don't want to just. Plus, my coach, you probably won't look at me the same. But, yeah. Drew, you got to remember, we're dealing with a coach's son here, so he's got like some background knowledge on how coaches see their children. Yeah, hundred percent. You're hundred percent true. Now, now the yeah. other side to the question is, what about teammate sisters? Are they off? They off? Are they off limit? Not at all. Right, it, uh, it, uh, it depends though, cause uh, I'm gonna just keep names out, just in case. But I've been in a situation like that before, and I just respected. I'm a really respectful guy, and I respected my teammate a little too much. I didn't want to just do that, cause I know he he, he wouldn't like it. And but yeah, so I just you know. A shot away. There's more girls in the sea. More fish in the sea. You know, there's more girls out there. I'm not gonna lose, burn a bridge mm-hmm. over, over some goofy over a girl. You know, just and the reason why I want the girl that's goofy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Hey man, Solomon. Thank you for coming on, man. We had a blast. Yeah. It, this was probably the realest we've ever gotten on a podcast with a guy like you. You like I said, you bring a real story um, that we're that we were happy to portray and and tell you, and let bro. you tell. Um, it was fun. You know, we hope the best for you in the season. Hopefully there is a season, um, you know, yeah. look, it's looking that way that there will be, but you know, maybe some restrictions here and there with who you play. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. Um, hopefully you get a step on the field this year and make a real impact, um, yeah. get some more snaps, play in a lot of games, make a yeah. lot of tackles. Sandy, you got anything, any last words? Dude, I do like this. This was easily the realest podcast we've done. At the same time, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, honestly. And that's like Low the curious feeling I've had. It's like, dude, I just want to go on forever. And it makes me think that we're going to – Drew, we'll just have to bring him on again, right? Exactly, yeah. We're, we're going to have to bring him on. We're going to have to have to bring on his brothers as well because it sounds oh, yeah. like they're, they're just as, as great of um, storytellers as you, man. And and uh, I'd love to have him on. Like, you know, Sandy, like you said, you, you're touching his heart when you talk about your oldest and your oldest brother in Dietrich because right. – Arkansas and Patriot guy like he he would love to bring him on um we'd love to have him um as well as you know having you again because like I said and like he said 
you've got more story to tell and uh, we'd love to we'd love to have you back on man but thank you for coming on tonight, man. <laughs> yeah. i know you're busy with fall camp and everything but thanks thanks solomon no i'm always here for you man yeah good to see you too yeah of course yeah and that does it for our interview with Solomon Wise. That was a great interview with this guy. Super real. It was awesome to talk to a guy who's been through a lot. But that does it for this podcast. So if you guys want to go follow us on TikTok or Twitter, we're at Splitting Ups. You can also, if you guys want to listen to more interviews, as well as our regular podcast that comes out every Thursday, you can go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, as well as any other podcast platforms.